And we are back for another episode of The Nuanced Naturopaths. Hi. Hi, I'm Corinda. And I'm Julie. <laughs> and together, <laughs> we're the Nuanced, Nuanced Naturopaths. Ah, that was awesome. <laughs> we did it. We got it. Oh, that is uh, much more challenging to do over Zoom, but we we yeah. made it happen. We made it happen. Yeah. <laughs> But, and you'll have to do some editing. Most likely. Yes. <laughs> yes, I will. Future Corinda, here's looking at you, kid. Um, Today is going to be a bit more of a deeper dive episode onto a big old topic. Not super big. Mm-hmm. It's relatively niche. But it's a topic mm. that is relevant to Julie and has Mm -hmm. been on her heart and mind. So (laughs) she's going to be a bit more in the spotlight this episode and I'll sort of be chiming in as I have questions, as I'm sure I will. Um, Mm -hmm. Today's all about what is known as barley belly, but also more, not maybe not more known, but also known as traveller's diarrhoea. It's probably more correct terminology. It's also known as the Rangoon Runs, or Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that this was like a fantasy novel. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's just demonstrating that, I mean, it's a bit unfair to call it probably any of those things because yeah. it can happen anywhere in the world. It's just that it commonly happens to people who are travelling in countries where there is, you know, differing food standards or, or hygiene practices or untreated water. Right. Uh, so it's not it, yeah. it's not something that is just specific to Bali or specific to any of those places no. exclusively. Yep. Cool. It can happen in your own home. <laughs> and oh. Uh and I guess on that point, what is it? Well, even this is not really clearly defined because oh. Um, people will experience some kind of gastrointestinal upset whilst Mm travelling and then um, they may attribute it to certain things like uh, they've eaten the food, they've drunk some water, they forgot and cleaned their teeth with the, the, the untreated local water, something like that, and they've usually experienced symptoms like diarrhoea, vomiting, mm. fatigue, bloating. Um, you could get reflux, abdominal pain, uh, griping pains, mm. uh, flatulence. So any of those sorts of gastrointestinal um, symptoms that you can experience, you know, as, as, a, as a gastrointestinal upset. Yeah. Um, and it's just that it... It happens often while travelling and therefore it's it's called, you know, barley belly or traveller's diary. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so what what causes it? Is it an exposure to a specific bacteria or specific pathogen or is it just the, the change in what you're exposed to compared to what you're usually exposed to in a in a more western yeah. westernized home life? Yeah, well, it can be any of those things. And keeping in mind, too, that people are travelling with perhaps uh, suboptimal gut health anyway. Mm. So you might go on holidays and you've already got some leaky gut or you've 
you've already got some kind of dysbiosis and I should just give you the the term for dysbiosis or the the Mm. definition of dysbiosis um so Jason Horlack I think sums it up quite nicely I'm such a fangirl three episodes in a row now Uh, so when the growth of potentially pathogenic microbes and pathobionts so they're the species that when in normal levels are uh, a, a healthy commensal species but when in uh, different ratios can be problematic mm. so when the growth of potential pathogenic microbes and pathobionts overtake their beneficial counterparts leading to alterations in the metabolic activities and metabolic byproducts of the ecosystem leading to harmful consequences mm-hmm. so essentially the ratio of back of, of species in your gut is disrupted. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers may be disrupted uh, and that can be up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be, and there can be a whole range of reasons for that dysbiosis. So mm-hmm. you can start with a little bit of dysbiosis mm-hmm. and then travel and that can become worse. Interesting. Okay. So most commonly, uh, I think people experience a bacterial um, pa- uh, pathogen, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, food, food born from contaminated food or from water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might include species like um, E. coli, Salmonella, mm-hmm. um, Shigella, um, Campylobacter jejuni, um, or it could be viruses, mm. um, so like a, a, a norovirus or a rotavirus. Now, that would be something that you could also um, catch just by uh, contact. So somebody mm. that is in the place, the cafe that you're in and they touch and something and you touch it and you transfer it from hand to mouth. Oh. Or um, um, I'm not sure whether that can be airborne oh okay possibly I guess I potentially if, yeah if it's if it's uh, um um aeros- aerosolized what's the mm. word uh, um yeah like in a like in a toilet or something where yes. it becomes airborne yeah yep um so those two are probably the most common mm. um uh, and then there's parasites. So mm. uh, Entamoeba histolica, Giardia intestinalis, and Cryptosporidium parvum are, are also really common parasites. Yeah. There are more than than just those. Um, there's also a question too about some of these uh, about whether maybe they are commensal species that that, um, are in the gut normally in small numbers Mm. and under certain circumstances then are allowed to proliferate and then they become problematic. But, Mm. you know, the the study on the microbiome is is still new. And Mm. there's, I mean, there's been a real explosion in the research, but there's still so much that we don't know because... We've assumed for so long that it this wasn't really a thing and it didn't matter. Yeah. 
and now we're discovering it it's an organ in its own right and and you know we we are we are a holobiont we are the the sum of our microbial species and our own cells combined isn't that oh that is crazy <laughs> to think about yeah yeah oh, oh. yeah so uh mm. so they're, they're the, probably the most common things but then there's there's there are other things i mean you think about traveling um my own experience um mm. you know leading up to travel the 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 flights packing your bags getting to the airport on time if you're traveling with other people there's the, there's the organizing other people organizing kids mm. it can be a stressful experience even when it's relaxing like mm. even when you get there and it's still relaxing you're still out of your comfort zone mm. and those things can stimulate the stress response which can as we've spoken about before uh, can shut down the production of hydrochloric acid can slow peristalsis yeah. can um, reduce the gastric gastric secretions and those things all can alter the balance of the microbiome mm. in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, you've also got dietary changes. Mm. Do you land in another country? You're not likely to be eating the same foods that you were eating at home. Right. Um, so, you know, people can blame food as being off or rancid or contaminated, but that might not necessarily be the cause. Mm. You know, it might be that you're eating um, new and unfamiliar foods that are, that contain molecules that your body's just simply not used to. Yeah. And if you've got some degree of dysbiosis or some intestinal hyperpermeability, then that situation could be exacerbated. Yeah. You might be eating more fatty foods. You might mm. be eating more spicy foods, more sugary foods, more meat or, or more, more histamine foods, you know, in, in some countries we, you know, you go to eat the seafood. Um, if you're eating seafood and it's not caught that day, mm. it's going to be really high in histamine. That histamine is going to give you a bit more of a histamine load. And if you're, particularly if you're somebody that has an allergic disposition or eczema or you know, asthma, yeah. Um, then you know histamine might be an issue for you, or if you're menopausal, you're going to have a you know potential perimenopausal. Mm. You, you could potentially have more of a susceptibility to to histamine foods than yep. you did before in life. You might be drinking more alcohol, mm. which is an antimicrobial in yep. itself. And with all of these foods that you're eating, you might be eating less of the good foods that you were eating before. And, and when I say good, you know, in inverted commas, you might be eating less fibre. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you're you um, swapping out your good foods for, for holiday foods. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and then um, food allergy. You know, you might be eating foods that you haven't had before and you have a bit of an allergy or an intolerance to them. Mm. And the gut's like, yeah. hang on a sec. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then any one of these things can make you more susceptible if you did take uh, consume a pathogen. Mm, right. So a lot of it, 
So a lot of this is really interesting and clarifying for me because embarrassingly, if someone asked me, oh, what's Bali Belly? I would have said, oh, look, I don't know specifically, but I'm sure it's it's one kind of bacteria or it's one, like I thought it was one pathogen associated with, you know, a, a presentation of symptoms. Um, so this is really interesting to know that it's more of a, a general experience that has multiple causes and that from the sounds of it, a lot of the experience of this digestive distress is determined by the baseline level that your gut health was at, that your where your microbiota was at before yeah. the traveling, before encountering these new foods or your diet changing. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's the landscape that you start with, isn't it? Yeah. And if, if your gut's not functioning well or you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid to be able to kill the a pathogen that you consume yeah um then you're more susceptible so right and then if you're starting off with a little bit of you know a dysbiotic microbiota we know that has so many run-on effects on how your immune system functions overall and how your body regulates inflammation overall so which are uh, important processes for if you were exposed to a pathogen through any means right so mm. oh mm. okay okay because Please there do. are other things too like change to routine if you're in a different mm. time zone you may mm. well be eating at different times of the day yep and um as we know the circadian rhythm is not just set by the light dark cycle of day and night mm. but it's also set by when we eat our meals yeah and so if your sleeping patterns are out um, and your eating patterns are out, that might disrupt things as well or add another layer of complication yeah. or another layer of stress on there too because, you know, if you're not sleeping properly because mm-hmm. you're in a different time zone, then your cortisol levels are going to be changed because that adds a stressor to the body. Yeah. And I guess on that note with the circadian rhythm, it's not that it's something to be avoided like, oh, my time zones change drastically. So I need to change my eating times to match my, my home time zone. It's, it's not necessarily that, but it's more just about, I guess, being aware of it and seeing if there are, um, additional resources or things that you can do for yourself to counterbalance that impact of the the disruption to to your body's rhythm hey yeah, yeah yeah i mean you can do things like um as soon as you land it's a it's a really good idea to just kind of go somewhere take your shoes and socks off stand in the earth mm. ground yourself mm. and just kind of look don't look at the sun because it'll burn your eyes <laughs> but look at the sky and allow the the light at that time of day to to get into your eyes and and to mm-hmm. help to start adjusting your circadian rhythm to your new time zone yeah um and then i think to maybe as much as you can to try and adjust to that new time zone in terms of when you're eating as well yeah right and and just i guess doing that light exposure thing and then seeing if you can do it you know the morning that you wake up getting outside 
getting that yeah. light in your eyes again before you go to bed, getting that sunset light in your eyes. Because I guess the faster, maybe not faster, but maybe more the more efficiently that you can get your body into that new rhythm, the less of a window there is for your body to experience that imbalance of like what's mm-hmm. what's going on. It could also yeah. help with jet lag too. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. Part part of that. Yeah. 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 Um. And sorry, there's there's another couple of things. I know more <laughs> layers. Who would have thought? Add them on. <laughs> Throw them on me. Yeah. Um. So the, the the general change to routine can mean that you're you're grazing all day. You're on holidays. You're mm. snacking between meals, mm. and that snacking between meals can mean that you inhibit the migrating motor complex, which is a stronger wave-like contraction that happens every 90 minutes but only between meals Mm. so only when there is no food in the the gastrointestinal tract yeah um and so if you're grazing all day because you're kind of not hungry at breakfast and and it's just a snack all day yeah then um stopping the migrating motor complex can then contribute to well it, it it's it is associated with the development of SIBO mm. um, so that's where the disruption of the microbial species is higher up in the digestive tract where there's supposed to be fewer species mm. um, that's a whole other podcast on its own yeah. um, but, but yeah just just to make the point that you know grazing all day or even at night you know because you're up at night because you can't sleep because you're in a different time zone yeah just to keep in mind that having meals have a meal proper meal yeah and then don't eat for four or five hours is is a better um way of eating and adjusting yeah and allowing your body to to cope with the, the transition yeah and the other thing is um intense exercise so um, sometimes people will um, go on holidays and it's for a specific, I don't know, going rock climbing or mm. hiking or something where you're doing a level of exercise, you know, long distance swimming or marathon running or something like that. Exercise, um, daily exercise, you know, like a nice walk is actually demonstrated to improve the diversity and abundance of species of the microbiome Mm. but intense exercise induces a stress state in the body which can disrupt the microbiome so it's worth keeping in mind that if you're going somewhere and then participating in really strenuous exercise Mm. um, that that could also contribute to some disruption and could that even be in a case of you know like i hear a lot of people go overseas for a holiday they don't have a car there. The public transport is totally different there. And so pleasantly, but a change from their usual lifestyle, they're walking everywhere and, and they're they're thrilled at like the steps they're getting in per day, but it's also taking a lot out of them because it's so far from their normal home routine. It's so far from how much exertion they would be enduring when they're back at home. So even though, yes, walking's great for you, I guess that's another thing to keep in mind in terms of, are you going from virtually zero to 
a hundred percent in terms of your activity. And if that's going to be, the, if you know that's going to be the case, maybe seeing if you can just up, up how much you're walking before the holiday, just so there's less of a gap. Like, would that be yeah. a, a good thing to focus on? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, and and it's easy to tell because it it's inducing a stress state. So mm. if if you're feeling exhausted, yeah, at the end of the day, then you've you've made a big jump in in what you would normally do and what your, you know, your fitness level would, would normally yep. um, tolerate. So that stress state is, is, is what you're looking for there as a sign. Yeah. Mm. And certainly if it's, um if any of that fatigue or exhaustion is lingering over into the next day or, or, you know, sequential yes. days after the intense activity. And that actually, that re- reminds me of another point and let's see how, this sort of fits into your your knowledge of traveler's diary and how this could potentially affect things but you know that phenomena of people working really hard they know they've got a holiday coming up they're smashing it out at work doing all the everything else in their life the errands the family duties whatever it is and then they go on holiday and then they get sick like even yeah. just on, you know, from on a respiratory level, like a cold or flu or something, they get sick or they just, or maybe they just feel burnt out and, and sort of experience fatigue, fatigue for a lot of the time that they're away. Mm. And I guess the way that we describe that is like your body is in that higher stress state for so long, it's pushing through, it's pushing, pushing through, it's keeping immunity at a certain level. It's it's suppressing things at a certain level so that when you finally do get the opportunity and the chance to just relax where you don't have the usual work, routines, family duties, that's the body's opportunity to be like, right, okay, can we deal with this this stuff yeah. that we've been like just powering through for all these months and weeks? So can that kind of phenomena also play a role in people experiencing these gut symptoms and and travelers diarrhea yeah yeah absolutely i mean the 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 immune system is the interaction between the immune system and the and the gut microbiome are mm. inextricably linked yeah um i mean and and it's interesting because we talk about um the stress state is as inhibiting um, digestive function and inhibiting um, the production of hydrochloric acid and gastric secretions and everything. Mm. The other thing that happens um, in a stress state is that elevated cortisol is mm. um, it, re- it, it is an anti-inflammatory. It's a natural anti-inflammatory, mm. um, and 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 that helps the immune system to cope with when you're in that acute getting ready to leave I've got to work hard all that sort of stuff Mm. and then and then you go on holidays and you've got a combination of you know maybe you're you're in a plane where there's Mm. uh they actually um in the the cabin of the plane they reduce the the amount it's actually reduced oxygen Mm. um in the uh changed air pressure of, of the plane mm. um you're also closer to solar radiation so you mm. you you experience that um you're also in an, a closed environment with people who as i experienced well as, as a few people have experienced just recently people mm. on planes that are carrying bugs you know carrying viruses yeah um 
and then you land and you you go you you go and rest and relax and that's when the body goes well the, the body then doesn't have the cortisol level to yeah <laughs> if, so if it, the, it drops and <laughs> yeah and I guess the nuance there is that yes for for shorter periods of time or more acute cases it's totally it's just the body's way that it will pump out more cortisol to cope and to sort of get through it and then hopefully come into a not so much of a drastic drop in but but sort of come to a rebalancing leveling out phase but the risk there is that if that really stressful period goes on for a a, a long amount of time and then becomes chronic chronic stress and it becomes chronically elevated cortisol that can then have almost an opposite effect of then contributing to inflammation um not keeping the immune system in check so it's a it's a fine line there with with cortisol and stress and the benefits then sort of turning the tables and becoming detriment yeah 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 and then we've got the mitochondria in there which is another episode that we're going to do on its own but uh, the mitochondria is a a, you know one of its functions is to produce (laughs) let's all say it together it's the powerhouse <laughs> of the cell, <laughs> of the cell. Um, but it it also is a, a, a sensing and responding um, mechanism that uh, triggers you know the the immune system and um, and other processes in the in the body you know so from that from that stress state as well so yeah so mm. Potentially a priority to consider if you've got a holiday plan this year, prioritise nervous system health and stress reduction if, especially if you know that's an aspect of your health and your life that's high up on the list of, of things that tend to affect you the most, that might be really worthwhile, even though, yeah. and not just not relying on the holiday on its own to be the de-stress, not, not, not yeah. settling for the mindset of no no it's okay that I'm stressed because then I'm going to relax on holiday but you know maybe challenging yourself a bit and going no no no, I want to make the most out of the holiday so I'm going to prioritize my nervous system before the holiday so it's not this yeah. drastic contrast yeah 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 I, I was chatting to to so I, I catch a lot of grab cars here which is like like uber mm. and I was chatting to one of the drivers the other day and we were we were talking about Oh, yeah, just my usual conversation about how the Balinese are really uh, good at stress reduction, just as part mm. of the part of their daily life. And uh, I asked him if he if he meditated, and he said, "Oh yes, yes, I I meditate every day." He said, "I have to because I I work so hard, right? Because they drive long hours, yeah. right?" And he said, "If I didn't meditate," my body would never relax. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and the every answer, night he meditates. <laughs> and the answer we tend to hear from people here is that, n- no, 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 I, I work so long I don't have the time to meditate. Yeah. 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 Or oh, how's but, that for a perspective but, shift? <laughs> I know. I just I just loved it. It, it was just brilliant that, you yeah. know, that, that recognition that it's just – that's part of his day. That's what he has to do in order yeah. to function. Is, and and if you think about it, it's like a daily hygiene practice. I think 
this is what I say to people all the time, you know, you take the time, you have the time, you make the time every day to clean your teeth and to wash your body and to wash your hair and do all of those physical hygiene practices. Yeah. So it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to take another five or 10 minutes, 24 ideally, but (laughs) five or 10 minutes a day to Mm. look after your, you know, do your mental hygiene, your nervous system hygiene practice. Yeah. And yeah. Mm. It's like a daily holiday. Yes, that, that and that's a really great way to look at it. And if anyone, if if there's listeners there who need a kind of challenge, you know, it's 2024, huh? 24 minutes of meditation mm-hmm. every day, or maybe even 24 minutes of meditation, 24 days of the month. If for, for people who are like, no, I can't do something every day, you know. But then there's the people who are like, no, I want the streak. Might be a nice little goal. I love that. <laughs> yeah, just throwing I that out there. It. So you could just do it one at one minute at a time. Start with one minute and then the next day do two minutes till yeah. you get to 24. That I also like. We've got, I feel like that's a, that's a, tr- a free treatment recommendation for three different personality types <laughs> right there. <laughs> three different learning styles right there. Yeah. Go for it. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've spoken a lot about what it is, how... Oh, actually, no. Well, I have two questions now. Long-term con- consequences, but then also how do we treat this thing? Yeah. 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 Uh, long-term consequences, well, as you well know, one of the questions that we routinely ask people in a consultation is, have you ever travelled overseas? <laughs> Did you ever get sick? Um mm. And it's it's often we get the response, yeah, I did actually. I travelled and then I got sick. It hasn't really been the same since. Mm. And um, that is a, a very common scenario is that there may be some kind of disruption has occurred mm. for, for any one of those reasons. It may have been a pathogen. It may have been a parasite. It may have been some just some general dysbiosis that was exacerbated by mm. these other things. Um, it may have been that you got sick not with a gut health issue but mm. with something else and was given a medication mm. such as an antibiotic. Or, that then caused. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, which can then cause um, diarrhoea, um it depends on the antibiotics. They they they're all very different, but they uniformly mm-hmm. are an antimicrobial. Yeah. Um, and so they can disrupt the microbiome and cause those symptoms in and of themselves. Mm. You may have been given an antibiotic for the barley belly, the traveler's diarrhea that you had, because sometimes mm. um doctors will not necessarily test they they won't necessarily do a stool test but they will assume that it's a bacterial pathogen Mm. and they will give you an antibiotic and then you will feel better for a while (laughs) and then you'll feel much worse afterwards (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it um can cause problems on its own yeah 
Um, it might be a proton pump inhibitor. So, mm. um, you know, Nexium and uh, Somac and mm. uh, the, these other um, medications that are designed to, um, as antacids, mm. to, to stop the acid production in the stomach. Mm. Same loop back to the to the conversation before antihistamine medications metformin mm. laxatives and mm. anti the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories the the neurofins ibuprofen aspirin those sorts of things can all alter the microbiome mm -hmm. long-term consequences well so what we're talking about here really are the long-term consequences of unresolved dysbiosis yeah so uh and this this is a conversation that we could have <laughs> mm. in, in, on on its own yeah um but some of the things that can occur uh can be um just ongoing digestive issues yeah um that it could be um ongoing fatigue um brain fog bloating reflux um, it could be this, uh, the development of uh, autoimmune conditions. Mm. Um, it can be, it can trigger a reactivation of um, latent viruses. So mm. if you had um, glandular fever mm. when you were younger, you have the Epstein-Barr virus um, dormant in your nervous system it's a friend we have for life and mm. something like 98 percent of us have this this virus same with chickenpox you know it comes back i think most people know that chickenpox will come comes back as shingles, shingles yeah. that's another of the herpes human herpes viruses and there's mm. uh, cytomegalovirus is another one um and they are associated with the development of some autoimmune conditions mm. uh, there's also uh, some sort of emerging research that shows some dysbiosis is can be related to the development of autoimmune conditions. Mm. Then there's all of the things that can come out of dysbiosis, which is yeah. almost any health condition. Yeah, right. So there's a bit of a spectrum there in terms of you can feel fine-ish beforehand, go on holiday, have an active gut gastrointestinal upset while you're away, come back and sort of maybe the sim symptoms still linger or you just haven't felt quite right since then. And then it can be the other end of the spectrum where uh, dysbiosis that was maybe preceding the holiday a bit, but then was maybe really kicked into gear by medications that you took while away or by an active pathogen that you were exposed to can then really set the stage for the initiation of symptoms of an autoimmune condition genes switching on and 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 cascades being activated so so i see it, it yeah it's a spectrum there and i think the bottom line it sort of comes back to this thing that we're we're often saying is that gut health is important it's it's the yeah. seat of all health and you know barley belly traveler's diarrhea or not it it's a priority <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can get food poisoning in your own home, you yeah. know, and, and experience the same kinds of things. Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, yeah. Mm. But yes, it's it, it's it's a cascade or even an accumulation of things too. 
Yeah. So, and I guess something to consider and maybe a little exercise you can do at home, if you're sort of trying to trace back when something started, you know, pretend we're your naturopaths and like we've just asked you the question, you know, has there been any overseas travel? Sort of list out the dates and the places that you went and then see if you can remember, did I have did I have to take any medications? Like even imagine you got injured or there was a puncture wound and then you needed to take antibiotics for that. That can then affect the gut. Or or did you have an active um, stomach bug? And just sort of reflect on that because you could be having non-gut related symptoms now and, and you're on this health journey of like trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And I think that exercise is a good reminder that, you know, it might have been a dysbiotic change in the gut that has sort of set the stage for whatever you're experiencing now, gut related or not. So going back in time can hold the answer, I suppose. Hey. Yeah. 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 Mm. And there's, there's, there's three other things that are worth mentioning here too, Mm. just when it comes to, to causes, just to, sorry to add other layers to this, but they're important. Mm. And that is that in some countries you may be exposed to pesticides herbicides um different chemical ingredients that are added to foods Mm. Uh, you might be eating food out of uh, plastic containers so you're more exposed to bpa phthalates um triclosan those those sorts of environmental chemicals or breathing in more um, like if you're riding a bike around bali you're breathing Mm. in lots of diesel fumes mm. um uh so wear a mask yeah <laughs> um they food additives as as we mentioned in our mini-sode yeah uh, the polysorbate 80 the carboxy metal cellulose might be ingredients in foods mm. um artificial sweeteners is another mm. thing that's just yeah. just worth keeping an eye on those things as well all these things that can upset the the microbiome yeah 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 Mm, okay so if you were to have an active case of traveler's diarrhea in a foreign country um and maybe more specifically a non-western country how how would you be treated depends where you are Mm. depends what resources you have available to Mm. you because um you know if you're english speaking and you're in a non-english speaking country um sometimes getting the information can be difficult it depends what access you have to the local health care yeah the conventional australian treatment Mm. um i mean they talk about mostly it's a it's around um prevention uh, so mm. just hygiene washing hands caution around drinking water and food mm. about the preparation and the storage of food making sure that it's been treated well mm. there's no specific vaccination or or for that for travelers diarrhea mm. although there the health department recommend sometimes that you're vaccinated against cholera because it may reduce the incidence of travellers' diarrhoea. Okay. I'm not sure how I feel about that if you Fair. didn't need a cholera vaccination anyway. Yeah. Um, so generally you might be given, if you went into, say, a pharmacy in, 
in any country, you might be given something like an electrolyte formula or an oral rehydration solution like mm-hmm. hydrolyte mm-hmm. Um, just to help to, to rehydrate you if you've, if you've got chronic diarrhea and vomiting. Mm-hmm. You might be given antibiotics. You might mm-hmm. be given anti-nausea drugs um, and then recommendations to avoid spicy foods and alcohol and um it is recommended not to use an antidiarrheal medication if you're experiencing fever. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, I couldn't find the reasoning for that, but I'm assuming that it's if there's a fever involved, uh, mm. that it's it's actually better to 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 allow uh, the fever and the diarrhea to the, let the body <laughs> deal with it rather than prolong that by by sort of holding it in <laughs> yeah because I was actually thinking mm. that I thought oh yeah surely there'd be um a lot of uh anti-diarrheal medications that you could get like things like gastro stop and an emodium you know equivalents overseas and then yeah just as you mentioned that I thought oh yeah shivers especially if it's some kind of bug that is causing the symptoms like you want that as much as you can get you want as much as you can get out out and and so perhaps a fever is a an additional sign that it's like an active pathogen that's triggered the immune system and it's like okay let let the body do what it needs to do as uncomfortable as that can be yeah yeah, yeah. but remember that the fever is a process in the body of killing of raising the temperature of the yeah. body to kill bacteria that can't tolerate heat yeah you know so I I think we too often try and reduce a fever yes because you know febrile convulsions um can be damaging to the brain Mm. but if you're keeping an eye on the temperature monitoring the temperature and making sure it doesn't get over say you know 40 degrees Mm. um then a, a fever is actually a beneficial thing for, for killing bacteria. Yeah. Not something to, to be suppressed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, antibiotics are still really considered to be the first line of treatment. Ah, um, isn't that yeah. ah, a shame? Yeah. It, is a sh- it is a shame. It is a shame. <laughs> uh, and, and I imagine that there's so much of that that contributes to the those those folks who then go on to have worse symptoms, you know, once they're back home and back into their normal routine and, and their gut just yeah. isn't quite the same. Yeah. yeah. And, and and they would describe it as, you know, I was fine, I was cured, and then I got it again. Yes, yeah. And, and it's actually, it's just a, it's a re-emergence, of, a relapse of the same, yeah. the same pathogen. Yeah. yeah. So when you're in a foreign country, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it might be difficult just simply because you're sick and you can't leave your hotel room. Um, but in some countries, there are treatments available that can be helpful. Mm. And and I guess I'm going to now be tre- talking mostly about sort of, you know, Indonesia and Southeast Asian countries because that's what I'm researching now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you might find, um, like, some of the clinics in Bali will also do intravenous, like, vitamin C and intravenous oh. glutathione. Um, they, when they're administered by a suitably qualified 
practitioner, mm. um, they can assist in, in speeding up recovery. That is very forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You've got to be careful about what else they put in there. So do ask the questions about what's going into the, the IV. Right. Um, uh, sometimes they do put in a, um, a proton pump inhibitor to reduce the nausea. Mm. Um, but of course, well, and, 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 you know, you're going to weigh that up too, because if the nausea is really debilitating, then maybe just the once off dose mm. is not such a bad thing. Mm. Maybe that's better than taking a course of, of these, um, antacids yeah um, yeah yeah anyway that's that's just another thing and and you know seek the help of your practitioner yeah or advice of, of a practitioner um in that instance because it's going to be on a case-by-case basis yeah but what i really wanted to talk about mm. we get into the source now is that there are local natural medicines in Southeast Asian countries that have been used for centuries around the world very successfully to treat things like traveler's diarrhea, to mm. help reduce the symptoms and help you recover more quickly and uh, without ramifications of the medicines themselves. Yeah. Um, and so there are things like um, in Bali and Indonesia, traditionally they would drink guava leaf tea, mm. which you can buy in the supermarkets. So cool. <laughs> so it's just, it's just, a, it's just guava leaf. Yeah. Um, Not the so, fruit. Uh, 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 the fruit does contain some of the constituents. Okay. There are higher levels of the, the astringents. Mm. that are useful for for, for drying up that mm. will, you know for cure of helping with the diarrhea yeah um so with um with guava leaf the research and, and with all of these things it's really interesting to dive in and find that the research is uh validating what has been known for mm. centuries yeah yeah uh, so with the guava leaf, it contains a range of the f- flavanols. Um, in this particular case, morin, morin 3 olixicide, morin 3 arabinicide, casetin, um, casetin 3 arabinicide, as well as a host of, of, of other be- beneficial nutrients like um, camphorol, mm-hmm. um, hyperin, um, ECGC, which is found in um, green tea okay. in high levels, gallic acid and caffeic acid. Mm. And there's there's heaps more than that. So, um, I mean, I know that was just a list of chemicals, but they're things that we know from other plant medicines. Yeah. Are useful in things like, you know, reducing inflammation in for, for antioxidant. Yeah. Um, uh, Cosetin is uh, has a, a multitude of benefits. Um, you know, can be helpful for um, allergic reactions, and you know, mm. reducing those allergic reactions um, for supporting immune function generally. So, mm. 
Um, guava leaf is also thought to be beneficial as an antimicrobial and mm. anti-diabetic because it, it helps uh, with insulin regulation mm. and antioxidant and also in uh, reducing cholesterol uh, and uh, supporting liver function. Um, the fruit contains many of the constituents, though in differing amounts. Mm. Um, so it you know, if you can't find guava leaf tea, but you can find the guava juice, mm. check the other ingredients on the back of the pack. <laughs> um, but, you know, guava, if you're buying it in a pack, I mean, mm. there's, there's cafes here, you could just buy guava juice, just freshly freshly made guava juice. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, that's it cool. It can, can really, really help. So, mm. yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's guava leaf. Mm. And there's um, the, if you're, you're familiar with the fruit, the mangosteen. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so a, a sort of a black hard husk on it. Mm. Um, so if you take the husk and you dry it and grind it up, you can make a tea with that, which has been used in Ayurvedic medicine in India and through Southeast Asia for centuries. Um it's a very powerful antimicrobial in and of mm. itself. Um, and so it's in studies of, it's actually a meta-analysis of mm. 30 studies. Who True. Thought there were 30 studies. Yeah. Um, found it to be similar in its effectiveness as an antimicrobial agent to commercially available antibiotics. Wow. So, that also says to me you wouldn't want to be drinking mangosteen tea all the time. Yes, because you don't want to, you know, wipe out everything and really compromise the um, your microbiota as a whole. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's like oh wow, a natural thing as effective as as commercially available antibiotics, but then but there's nuance there and and there's appropriate use yeah. and then there's overuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it it. Um, uh, its its actions are against specific bacterial, fungal, and um, mycobacterial species. So, mm. um, so there are, you know, it is selective. Mm -hmm. um, um, and uh, I'm assuming that these studies were comparing it to antibiotics that were um, equally selective. Oh, okay, yeah, well, you know, you'd so hope. Yeah. 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 Um, and it is considered a super fruit in Asian cultures. So the fruit and the husk mm. are both considered to be a general health tonic. Okay. Um, and the husk is also used as a dye and a treatment for skin conditions. Um, it has potential that they're, they're um, doing some research now um, in its potential as a use for um, methicillin resistant staphylococcus aureus um, oh wow yeah oh that could be so, a game changer yeah in a in a world where antibiotics are becoming less and less useful because of um antibiotic resistant bacteria yeah um staph aureus is, a, is becoming more of a problem so i mean mm. we we all have staph aureus on our skin but it's um um it's when you start getting infections uh, and a proliferation of it on the skin that it's 
really problematic. So, yeah. so that's that. Um, I should mention um, papaya seeds. Mm. So the seeds of a papaya, if you were to take two or three seeds and chew them, they are um, quite a, a powerful um, anti-parasitic. Um, oh. So you, know, you wouldn't, again, it's not a treatment that you would continue. You wouldn't decide that more is better and eat all of the seeds in a papaya because mm -hmm. then you would make yourself quite sick. Um, but, you know, two or three seeds chewed, um, maybe you know, you could do it like a week apart, do two two doses a week apart. If you've oh. got diarrhoea, don't eat the papaya fruit because it's yeah. going to just make the diarrhoea worse. Yeah. Um, if you're constipated, uh, the fresh, ripe papaya, red papaya can be a, a helpful treatment for that. But, nice. Um, what else have we got? Ginger, of course, as a tea mm. can really help relieve um, uh, nausea, bloating, abdominal discomfort. Mm. Um, it, you know, the, the research on ginger is exploding and they're finding wonderful new things um every day about mm. uh, its its use yeah um sour sop leaves Ooh. um also as a tea um another fruit here um that is is pretty common and it's been used traditionally as an antiparasitic so again okay. if you think you've picked up a parasite you know if it's if it's drinking water it's probably more likely to be a parasite. Like if you've, I don't know, drunk the local water and yep. it hasn't been treated. Um, okay. So you might use sour sop leaves in that case. Cool. Um, then we get to turmeric mm. and temelawak. Uh, so turmeric is the orange curcuma longa species that we're all familiar with in Australia. Mm. Temulawak is Curcuma xanthoriza. Uh, it's a kind of a paler yellow. Mm. We do get Temulawak in Australia, as I discovered mm. <laughs> after doing a bit of dive, deep diving. Um, I spoke to a, an organic grower of um, turmeric uh, and I said, this yellow one that I'm sometimes given when I order my turmeric is this Temelawak? And he said, I don't know what Temelawak is. And I said, is it Kukuma's anthorizer? He said, oh, yeah, because <laughs> sometimes they just swap it out. If they, it, it just depends on what's growing at the time. Yeah. Um, what I did discover here is that Temelawak is a very different looking thing here because it grows so much bigger. And if oh. you've got, if you find the mother, it's the mother being the main root, which is usually like a, a, a circular, like a spherical sort of ball that the other rhizomes grow off. Yeah. Um, I got one that was almost tennis ball size the other day from wow. the market. Picked it up and I went, what's this? Oh. And she said, Tabalawak. No, it can't be. It looks so different. But, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, the mother root. Okay. The mother root. So the mother 
if you can get the mother root of any of the turmeric species, if you so you're buying it fresh from the supermarket and you yeah. get the big round one yeah. rather than the the sort of finger like projections, yeah, the the mother is all, always contains more of the constituents. It's it's kind of oh. richer in those constituents. Okay. Um. So yeah. So it's always better to get the mother if you can. Okay. Um, good to know. Yeah. Um, so t- you can take your turmeric or your tamalawak or any of the other turmeric species. There's also a white turmeric um, and others. There's so many turmerics. I thought there was only one. Um, you can take it as a tea, a couple mm. of slices, some boiling water. You could put some ginger in there as well. Yeah. Um, it's, of course, a very potent anti-inflammatory. Mm. um it's uh, the in the curcumin so there are there are different types of curcuminoids in the turmeric to the temalawak mm-hmm. in general curcuminoids um have beneficial actions mm. curcumin is the one that's been studied the most it's the one yeah. that people value most because it's been studied the most, that doesn't mean that the other curcuminoids are not as valuable. They're just not as well known. Good point, yeah. So, yeah. Um, turmeric also is is beneficial to the microbiome because of the polyphenols mm. in, the, in it. Um, so they, um, the beneficial species of our, of our gut love polyphenols. Mm. Um, you will also find polyphenols in dark purple foods, mm-hmm. berries, uh, red rice, uh, black rice, uh, anything that's naturally purple or dark red in colour. Yeah. But also things like matcha green tea. Yeah. Mm. And we love those um, polyphenols because they. I don't know if you would you say selectively feed the species in our gut to be mm. more supportive of the, the more beneficial ones and just help keep those more edgy ones in check. Yeah, yeah, and we would use the word modulate because they <laughs> they <laughs> they upregulate or they they support the the beneficial species to be in their uh, correct. An appropriate ratios, yeah, um, and are not favourable to the less beneficial or the the species that can then proliferate and become right. pathophiles. So sometimes yeah. in in health and medicine we are frankly increasing or we are frankly decreasing. But I love, I and clearly forgot the word modulate for when we're just maybe bringing things back into balance, increasing something, decreasing something else, just bringing it closer to a nice balanced baseline. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's one word. of the things that, yeah, it's one of the things I love about plants, plant medicine, mm. whether it's, you know, herbal or food, is that um, so often the multiple constituents in plants have this modulating effect yeah. where it's it's balancing things out rather than, yeah, frankly suppressing or frankly um enhancing which which is what a single constituent like a drug Mm. a pharmaceutical drug can do and that's sometimes where the side effects come in 
and and therein lies the the main difference between i guess standard pharmaceuticals and plant medicines hey is that yeah. a, a plant medicine will like it's very rare unless we're working with you know psychedelics i suppose plant medicine will very rarely take you out of range if uh if we were working on something that didn't even apply to you in the first place you know you're not yeah. it, it's not uh it's not say you don't have a, a huge amount of inflammation and then you take an anti-inflammatory uh, a, a plant that has been known to have anti-inflammatory actions it's not going to totally suppress your inflammation or anything like that it's plants tend to work with what's present in the body which mm, also mm. makes them really cool yeah and part yeah. of that is because we've evolved around each other we've evolved mm. the plants and humans have evolved together and we respond we respond to them and they respond to us oh that's such a good we reminder yeah that stuff yeah we really yeah. do yeah <laughs> yeah so last on my list, but not least, mm. is is Jammu. And Jammu ah. is the word for medicine here. Um, or in, in Indonesia, it means medicine. And someone is, is, was explaining to me the other day that it, it also means kind of like the foundation. It's the, the base. Oh. Yeah. And oh, I really I like that. that. Yeah, because he said, you know, we drink it every day. It's the, it's like it's the it's what we start with. It's what mm. keeps us healthy. Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, and so Jammu is a, a traditional tonic drink. Um, huge array of um, recipes, uh, as discussed in episode one of the Nuanced Naturopaths. Oh yes. Um, uh, but it's made from a base of turmeric, uh, tamalawak different varieties of ginger um there are some that have uh tamarind in them some that have um say betel leaf you know depending on the 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 use or mm. the the condition um, that they might be treating uh or or just as sort of a health tonic and mm. of course it because it's because of the way it's made it's actually boiled up and then if you've got a high speed blender <laughs> mm. makes it easier um you know and then and then you filter it out but you do get a really high level of the polyphenols in there mm. and all of the constituents um and yeah and so so if you can get your hands on some jamu um quite often here in bali you can you can buy it from shops mm. um yeah it's it's that can help too so all of these things um you know, there's there's a, a caution needs to be observed because if you, you're buying unfamiliar things, you want to see what other ingredients are there. Mm. Um, if you're concerned, the safest way is to buy them just as a single herb yeah. in a dried form and, and have it as a tea. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, but you can go to a pharmacy and ask them, um, and then you can, you know, they they might also give you these products. Like, I've got one here called Entrostop Herbal. Uh, and Entrostop Herbal contains. You can read it really tiny writing. Uh, guava leaf, <laughs> um, uh, turmeric, um ginger green tea <laughs> mm. it's got a bunch of sugar and sucralose 
and fructose and sodium benzoate, but which is not ideal. But if that's all you could find was this Interostop, which comes in these little um, sachets mm. of liquid, mm. in, and that might help just relieve some symptoms. Yeah, and again you're working in a different territory with access to different things so we're not we're not aiming for perfect here so I think that's a really good example of they've got a really good idea it does it has really beneficial herbs in there okay yes it has some additives um and and I guess it's just about weighing up uh what you're willing to be exposed to in order to feel some relief yeah and and what you're not willing to be exposed to so yeah. yeah. And, and you ask the pharmacist. I mean, most mm. of the pharmacists here the, the, the speak English very well. Nice. Um, you know, you can ask them for their advice. Mm. Um, and, and have you, they are qualified. So. Have you found there that pharmacists specifically know more about the use and application of their herbs as opposed to pharmacists here in Australia? a little bit hit and miss okay um i think because no it's probably the same kind of mechanism there that they kind of are dismissive of herbs because that's the older medicine but and and they hold a lot of value in in western medicine in the same way in the same way that they a lot of people believe that to be you need to be eating western food right yeah (laughs) really sad um that's another conversation though but it's just you know that they sort of hold this this ideal of you know if it's western it's probably better interesting Um, yeah but all of them have this experience of growing up with taking these herbs yeah um in their you know, in their childhood and, and mm. talk about grandmothers making things for them. And mm. um, what was it Nina said the other day um, that her grandmother used to grind something up and then just, oh, that's right, she'd get the temelawak and she would um, grind it up with the mortar and pestle mm. and then just get the pulp and grab Nina and and lean her back and then squeeze the temelawak juice into her mouth and she said I'm still traumatized by the taste of (laughs) temelawak because it's quite bitter yeah Um, because her grandmother used to give it to her as a medicine when she was really little (laughs) oh but that would get the job done hey yeah that's right yeah yeah (laughs) where and I guess here the difference would be is that you would still need to be searching for a specific kind of people who grew up with perhaps natural remedies or, or natural medicines. It's not, it's not embedded enough into the culture here. Hey, it's, it's still natural oh, medicine yeah. is still more of a subculture. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a pharmacist- Unless you come from overseas, you know, like yeah. um, um, my friend Vesna who grew up in Serbia talks mm. a lot about, um natural remedies that she was given as a kid that you know they would she would go out with her parents or her grandparents and mm. pick things off from the fields wow um, yeah 
oh, like, and just like a moment there, it's like, oh, shout out to like other cultures and like the amazing wisdom and knowledge that they they bring to a country like Australia. And 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 shout out to um the indigenous folk here, where there is so much medicinal knowledge held, it it is just un- so unfortunately not mainstream. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I mean, there's also questions there about the appropriateness of a medicine that is not grown in the country that you are living in. Yeah, you know that is so. I mean, we all use herbs that come from across the sea. I mean, there's mm. sustainability issues that are that are really important to think about. Yeah. Um, there are herbs that we use that are endangered. Yeah. Um, you know, herbs that that have to be six or seven years old before you can pull them out of the ground and use the root. Um, and so it it it's quite difficult to get the quantities of of that herb and I think Indonesian herbs Mm. because it's closer to Australia um you know it might be more appropriate for us to be looking to the some of these herbs yep um because it's closer to our to our own climate well parts in Australia I mean Australia's got a different climate zones all over the place yeah but you know like I think there's just good reason to be looking at these herbs yep. as well did I I totally agree and and yeah just that little note there on climate it, even if it's not uh in terms of physical distance finding herbs that are physically close to you you may find herbs that are in other parts of the world but share the same climate climate and sort of um uh regions of where they would naturally grow as to where you are um mm. and that would be something that i would strongly consider as well yeah, Re- yeah. that's a really good point yeah yeah so there are more than that um but they they're the ones that i think are probably most common and most easily found yeah nice yeah. and if so i i think I'm certainly not alone when I say lots of information there to to chew on, to stew on, to contemplate. I certainly learned things about Traveller's Diarrhea that I was not aware of before <laughs> before hearing you talk about it. And I now know some extra herbs and traditional fruits that can be used to help address the symptoms. Should I yeah. find myself in Bali with Traveller's Diarrhea yeah. someday? Yeah. I, oh, and I should just add too, uh, one of one of the consequences of traveller's diarrhoea, I mean, I did kind of touch on it, is, is of course the potential for dehydration, particularly when you're in a, a, a hot climate where you're sweating anyway. Yeah. Co- coconut water. Yeah, yeah. Is a, is a really great rehydration um, solution. Yeah, nice. Fresh green coconut water. Perhaps even with a bit of salt, like, you know, uh, yeah, Himalayan and salt sprinkled in there just to help, um, you know, make make a rehydration solution that's got some of the, the, the um, minerals in it. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that too. Oh, nice, nice bonus suggestion there. Um, <laughs> so if you want to reflect back on the info that we've shared or if it's easier for you to sort of see this in a visual format, we're going to link... Julie's blog post 
in the show notes below where she lays this out nice and clearly for you. <laughs> nice and clearly in a lot of words because <laughs> I, because I'm so verbose. <laughs> yeah. And so if you want the nit if you want to get even nittier and grittier, another reason to check out Julie's blog post on this. Um but in any case, yeah, I'm I'm sure the listeners today are taking a lot of info with them. Did you have any closing thoughts? Um, I think the only other thing I, I think is important to mention is that in Australia, the Therapeutic Goods Administration is generally recognised as the most stringent regulator of, of medicines in mm. the world. Therefore, in other countries... Uh, you have less protection to medicines. So just be cautious. I mean, I, I just don't want people to rush out and then try and buy things online from online suppliers because uh, the potential for supplements and herbs to be adulterated, yeah. swapped out, having correct dosage be contaminated, all of these things. It's not saying that all supplements that are sold overseas are like that. It's just you don't, we don't have the controls over yeah. them if they're not manufactured in Australia. Yeah. I don't want to freak people out and, and scare them off because I, I've just said that these herbs are, are wonderful and helpful. I just want there to be that awareness that, you know, you, you do need to be cautious if you're yeah. not buying things in Australia. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's a really good point to drive home, you know, or just use common sense, be err on the side of caution. If you're trying a totally new herb or a new product for the first time, especially if it's in a different country and not regulated by the TGA um, and ask, ask a professional for advice if you're really unsure or you want to make sure that you're getting the thing that's best for you. Just reach yeah. out, ask. Yeah. Yeah. Good points to finish with, I reckon. Yes, yes. So as always, let us know what you thought about the episode and any questions that, that may arise from anything you've heard come out of our mouths. Uh, you can ask us a question on the Spotify question box, which will be somewhere in the episode, in or around the episode notes. You can also answer the polls on Spotify or simply reach out to us on Instagram at the.nuanced.naturopaths. And, we, yeah, we would love to talk to you. We'd love to hear your questions. So Absolutely. Talk, talk to us there. And in the meantime, take care. We will catch you in the next episode. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Nuanced Naturopaths. Be sure to ask us any questions you have below, engage with the polls, and we'll catch you in the next one.